Welcome to the As Yet Unnamed podcast with Jeff Perswell, a podcast to help pastors connect theology to local church life. And now here is Jeff with your host, Mickey Connolly. Hey, this is Mickey, and I'm with Jeff for uh, uh, another podcast. A couple of announcements before we dive in, as I've gotten y'all's input about what's serving you. Uh, we've decided to go to a semester format for the podcast. So instead of doing them every month, uh, we're going to do two semesters of four months each. So July and August, no podcasts. And then we'll start up again September, October, November, December, and then take January and February off, and then March, April, May, and June. So just be aware, nothing for the next couple months. And then from now on, not promising anything in perpetuity because we're trying to uh, change with the times, but uh, we'll we'll be doing it on a semester basis, and so the next ones will come out in September, and I'll send everybody an email to remind you of that. Uh, the other thing is, for Jeff's podcast, we uh, wanted to do a contest uh, to name the podcast, and I got a whole bunch of entries. Uh, the winner gets either a picture, an autographed picture of Jeff or um, uh, John Newton's complete works. And I got a lot of entries, and, and frankly, most of them were lame. Uh, there were a few good ones. But then we actually decided to just continue to call the podcast The Ordinary Pastor with CJ and with Jeff. So um, I decided that I'd just pick the best name, and, and then we'd, we'd award uh, a you gift. Gotta, you got to give a that. prize. Yeah, we do. We're giving them a prize. Okay. So Larry Malament actually put in the best name. Uh, the discerning pastor, which I thought it was good because mm. it went with the ordinary pastor. It was about theological discernment. And so nice. I, well I hate done, to tell you this, but Larry doesn't want your autograph picture. Yeah, good. You're, I'm not sure I'd give it to him. Well, I, I see despondency in your eyes right now. <laughs> You're hurt. Yes. And I'll let you work Deeply. that out. I'll let you work that out with Larry. Deeply. So I'll be sending Larry the John Newton uh, uh Four-volume, complete works. Uh, it's expensive, but I recommend all you guys get it. John Newton will pastor your soul. Congratulations, like almost Larry. no one else. <laughs> now, you were, there, there was bitterness in your voice because no, yeah. you, you were true. hoping. It's true. You're on to me. You were hoping. <laughs> you were hoping somebody wanted. You're on to me. You were hoping you Larry wanted your autograph picture to put up in his office. You know me too well. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, next semester, um, I'm thinking uh, because of the importance of preaching in Sovereign Grace and just because CJ and Jeff have outstanding preaching gifts, that I'm thinking of devoting uh, the next semester, September through December, just to talking about preaching issues. Uh, maybe we'll do some of the guys separate, maybe do some where I'll just have them in there together. Uh, but just to whet your appetite, uh, I wanted Jeff to do a little something on preaching just to whet your appetite and keep you going for the summer. So, um, Jeff, I, uh, we all, I think, realize how important preaching is to Sovereign Grace. You, CJ, and others have just done a great job over the years of helping us to understand the importance of preaching and prepare us for preaching. Um, but... Uh, I know you, I know CJ, and I know myself, uh, do have some concerns, uh, ongoing concerns about preaching in Sovereign Grace. And one of, one of the yeah, things... My, my main concerns are about my own preaching. But, <laughs> well, our, all uh, of us are. Share them for, for everyone. But yeah. you're our director of theology, so we do want you weighing in on this issue. Um, so recently I was with some pastors, and they, they were quoting a 
popular uh, blog where the man said basically, um, if you're spending more than eight hours preparing a message, you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a bit horrified, not because you can put an exact amount of time on how much it takes mm -hmm. for a good sermon or bad sermon, but because I, I, I just thought That's, that seems like can't put enough time in to really um, understand the text and then get ready to preach the text to particular people. So I'm just going to, with with introducing that thought, mm. I'm just going to let you run. So give, yeah. give us your thoughts on that and anything else you have to whet our appetite for the fall. Mm. Good. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure about the specific quote uh, or who you're talking about, but I have heard that kind of statement before I, you know, it's hard to know precisely what the context was or if there were any qualifications. Uh, but but just I'll just deal with the statement on the Milli millennial bloggers don't tend to qualify. Well, okay, good. Well, I, yeah, I, I'll just deal with the statement on the face of it, uh, and I'd say, yeah, I would have a different perspective than the gentleman um, for for a number of reasons. And, and again, I, I guess I would first say for some maybe there's eight hours is enough um, but uh, you know a pastor might be in a context where he's working full-time um, he's you know serving the church on the side anything more than eight hours he might just feel oh that's just utterly impossible for me for that kind of person right. I say God's going to give you grace yeah sometimes um, emergencies come up and you just can't spend the time you yeah, want absolutely so you know we I want to make allowance for such a thing and and for some people um, I'd say they are they are the exception uh, they may be just fine with it I, I don't know if, if you're quoting him or not but I did see I think it's an older I don't know if it's an article or a blog but something uh, written by Lig Duncan uh, where he said something similar I don't remember mm -hmm. the exact hours um, and for but for someone like Lig I'd say great <laughs> Um, but very few people are like Lig Duncan. I mean, with Lig, you know, he's operating with a world-class mind. Um, he's spent years lecturing in the classroom, years pastoring, uh, years, decades in the text of Scripture. Uh, so, you know, for Lig Duncan, I, I'm not going to disagree with the practice of a man like that. But I think we could say most people aren't no. like Lig. No, certainly um, not me. My, yes. And my, and my assumption is we're addressing uh, on this podcast. Ordinary pastors. Yes, there you go. Ordinary pastors, normal guys, faithfully doing the work of ministry. And my perspective for that kind of person would be that eight hours of sermon prep in a normal rhythm is not going to be sufficient for all that the task of preaching God's word involves. I, you know, just things start popping in my mind there. Um, but a few reasons I think are most important. First of all, just start with the importance of the Sunday gathering, um, at least in our setting. Yeah. But, but I think theologically, this would be true, true in any church setting. There is no more important moment in the life of my church than the Sunday gathering. Uh, and it, it, that's generally speaking, more specifically, there's no more important moment in our Sunday gathering than the teaching and preaching of God's Word. I, I don't think I need to unpack that a lot, especially the first one, but I mean, as pastors, we, we should let that land on us. There's no more important moment in our week than that Sunday meeting. Um, that's when the pastor is pastoring the whole church. He's not just pastoring yes. one person. Yes. Um, that's when, I mean, theologically speaking, that's when God is most fully present. 
uh, among his people. I mean, every person we know, 1 Corinthians 3, every person is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But the far greater emphasis in the New Testament is that the people of God corporately are God's temple. His presence is most fully promised for his people when they are gathered. We could go on and on as to why that moment is so important. Um, But in this most important moment, um, the preaching of God's Word, and we could put in there the Lord's Supper as well, it is paramount. And it's paramount because in the preaching of God's Word, that's when we are addressed by God. Yes. Um, we, we are not just addressing God through prayer. We're not just addressing God through our song. We are being addressed by God. And that's the most important thing that happens among the people of God is being addressed by Him. That's the most important thing that happens in a Sunday meeting. And so... That doesn't answer the question. All right, so how much time should I spend in preparation yeah, for my sermon? Just reemphasizing that point because I think it's an important one. Because in the context of that conversation I was having, that the eight-hour thing came up. Guys, we're talking about, and this is legitimate. Well, I'm spending time discipling guys, and I'm spending time. And your point that there's one time every week where the entire church is gathered, and you can affect it. That's right. And that's Sunday morning. Absolutely. And so those times are just so critical. It's not that that other stuff is unimportant. No, absolutely. But Sunday has a heightened importance. So well said. Thank you. And just recognizing the promises that God makes concerning the corporate gathering of his people. So again, it doesn't answer the question, but it does begin to lead me in that direction. And it does, it it at least signals what should garner my time. It heightens the importance. Yes. What should garner my attention. It it implies then what I need to protect in my schedule. Um, Beyond all other things, I would say, save for my devotional life and the care of my family, We've got to guard our times in pastoral ministry. We have to be disciplined with our use of time. Sure, there's going to be interruptions. Sure, we need to be available, but we do have to protect certain things. I think this is the main thing to protect. Now, a second reason that comes to mind why I don't think that's going to be sufficient is also just the complexity of the preaching task. I think if... You know, a normal pastor thinks eight hours of sermon prep is sufficient. If he wants to make that argument, I would at least want to engage him uh, about the task. I would wonder if he's fully grappled with the complexity of the task. Mm-hmm. Um, preaching is simply one of the most challenging tasks I have ever undertaken, certainly within ministry. Uh, it is the most challenging task. Um, it, it is spiritually demanding. It is emotionally uh, draining. It is intellectually uh, stretching. It, uh, it's pastorally challenging. It's it's physically draining as well. I mean, it's all of that. And, and for me, and I think for most guys, it, it requires much of me. Um, so first of all, just, just thinking about that task for a moment, there's, there's the challenge of coming to grips with the meaning of a text of Scripture, which in itself is a daunting task. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to be approached like any piece of literature, uh, but to be undertaken with the fear of God. And, and the time required for this, of course, it's going to differ from person to person depending on one's familiarity with the particular text. Uh, the time one is spent in the text of Scripture over time, how much background knowledge you have. But... I would argue to handle the text rightly, to handle it faithfully, requires time. It requires what what the Bible says. It requires work. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, um, verse 15, Do your best to present yourself as one approved, as a worker, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. All of us pastors know that text. So Paul is, but listen to that 
listen to the context there. Paul is exhorting Timothy. Uh, the assumption is Timothy needs to be exhorted. Mm-hmm. I think God's assumption is we need to be exhorted. The, the assumption is also that one can be ashamed mm-hmm. uh, if one does not handle the word of truth. So rightly handling it then is going to require work. It's going to re- require my time and my effort. Now add to that, uh, well, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with an ancient text uh, written in a different language than my own, uh, in, in, written in an ancient setting, written in a particular situation, written by a particular author to a particular audience for particular reasons. Uh, it, it just takes time to grapple with those dimensions of a text. Um, it's historical context and it's literary context. Uh, and, and beyond that, uh, arriving at the meaning of the text, uh, the argument of a writer like Paul, the theological intent uh, of the writer of, uh, of a narrative. Uh, and, and then beyond that, assuming we're doing expository preaching where we're wanting to expose people to texts so that they can hear God speaking again through those texts so that those texts can have their intended effect on people, uh, there's determining not only the message of a text, there's determining the way that text delivers its message. Um, and here, of course, we're talking about structure, uh, the stages of an argument, the unfolding plot of a narrative, the, the, the rhetorical dimensions of poetry. Yeah. I mean, all those things, those are going to play a part in how I structure my sermon. I, I disagree with uh, writers, uh, well-known writers I'm, I'm aware of who, who essentially uh, argue that you, you determine the meaning of a text and how you structure the sermon. That, that's, that's up to you. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I want to take my cues for my structure from the structure of a text. Okay. That takes time. And then, of course, uh, there's just elements of sermon structure that, you know, it's kinds of things you teach in homiletics, but, you know, we're not talking about, you know, homiletical style or anything like that. Those are just sort of time-honored. We're honoring the nature of, 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 of communication. We're honoring creational realities of, of how an oral environment works, uh, an, an oral environment, how people listen, how people process, how people understand. And so uh, we, in our structure, we, you know, we utilize things that, that help produce clarity, that help produce unity, not so that we're creating literary masterpieces, but what we're trying to do is to keep from obscuring um, the... The, the effect of God's Word, to mm-hmm. keep from obscuring the meaning of God's Word, to keep from getting in the way of God's Word, to keep from distracting people from God's Word. So you've got that aspect to the task, uh, which, which can be, I mean, I can work sometimes for hours on just connecting my sort of introductory idea and how I'm engaging mm-hmm. people with the, the theme of a text. I, I can just, that, that, that can just be excruciating for me, but there's, there's a few things more important. And so when I consider all that, uh, the work required to get at those things, then we haven't even talked about prep, but my own text work, which Mm -hmm. which I want to do as much as possible, and then benefiting from the work of others uh, through commentaries and other tools. And, of course, we have... Let me just interrupt real quick. So do you do your text work and then hit the commentaries? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you you sometimes hear... uh, 
people who teach preaching, you know, they, they can say things sometimes that are somewhat idealistic. You should never, ever crack a commentary until, you know, the very end and so <laughs> forth. I don't say that to people. Uh, but I do say, depending on where you are, you should do as much text work as yeah. possible. So and I, if you, I probably come to the limit of my text work before you do. And I need I, to I get to the commentators. I don't know. But, anyway. uh, but, but we all should want to do as much as possible. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, but, I but that takes more. time. And then just, I mean, think about um, you know, maybe in a particular setting, you're, you're, on the, you're in a mission setting, you've got five books, okay, you're not going to be benefiting from external tools as much. But we, I think, have a responsibility to, to utilize the tools we've been given, uh, yep. hopefully not to depend on them mm-hmm. unduly, but to utilize them, um, the work of commentaries, tools. I mean, when we're preaching, we're, we're not just coming to a text for the first time. We're coming to a text that God inspired and that has been brought to bear upon the people of God for thousands of years. And people have been, just to take the New Testament, 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit has not not only inspired those texts, but has been leading pastors and leaders and theologians into understanding of that text. We uh, we rip our people off if we deprive them from the effects Good. of those things. It's uh, excellent. arrogant excellent. To, to assume we don't need those things. Yep. And so there's, there's that work. And, and then just think, I mean... A commentator, a guy writing, uh, I was going to use a name, but I'll back off because I I may get the year wrong, but um, a guy has spent two decades working on a commentary. Uh, on an entire book. <laughs> yes. Um, do I think I'm just going to, you know, glance over a paragraph real quick? No, I, I, I want to, I want to benefit from that. Um, and then, my goodness, there's the pastoral side of the sermon, uh, which means the entire sermon. Um, remember, I'm not. We're not just giving theological lectures. If I yes. was just reading exegetical papers, preaching would not be nearly as hard. The pre- preparation yes. for preaching would not be nearly as hard. The delivery of the sermon would not be uh, nearly as difficult. Um, but I'm, uh, we're not doing that. We're bringing God's word to bear upon His people, and, uh, I, and specific people. Absolutely, yes. I'll get to that. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm wanting them to understand it. I'm wanting them to feel its weight. I'm wanting them to understand its claim. That's why Paul doesn't just say teach God's word. He says, you know, I was among you. I taught. I exhorted. He tells uh, uh, one Thessalonians two. I exhorted. I encouraged. Um, the elder must be sound in doctrine so that he can exhort people. We're, we're not just dispassionately delivering ideas. It's not yeah. a data dump. We are, we're, we're seeking to, to engage people's souls, their whole, we're, we're engaging whole-lived people uh, with all of God's Word. And so um, I, I'm, I'm wanting them to, to, to feel that effect. And so all that we do then to, to, to illustrate it, to make it clear and vivid, and to apply it, which means to uh, to reveal the text relevance and the effect it's meant to have on us, which means, as you were impl- implying, thinking and praying about my congregation. You know, we, as is often said, we don't only exegete the text, we exegete our congregation. W- what they are facing, how this text is to address them, how this text can encourage this person in my congregation, how this text can comfort this person in my congregation, how this text can uh, give this person perspective on this excruciating situation they're facing, how this text can adjust this person, how this text can correct them. All, you know, all that Paul says that God's Word does in, in 2 Timothy 3, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And, and then and let me just say one other thing that pops to mind. I haven't really even talked about the crafting side. 
Um, but we're, again, we're, we're not trying to craft a performance. Yes. Uh, and I don't mean artifice. I don't mean using pedantic language, intending to, intending to parade my knowledge, intending to impress. But I do mean the careful, thoughtful use of, of, of God-given language. Uh, that reflects his own linguistic capacities to, to express the most important things in the universe. I heard John Piper say one time, um, he was speaking about, I think, pastoral prayers and, and, and just other public uh, functions of the pastor, but he said this, very simple, spontaneity is overrated. <laughs> and it's, it's just so true. Um, spontaneity is not to be equated with spirituality. Spontaneity usually means we're saying the same thing in the same way. I'm just defaulting to my own go-to phrases, my own go-to vocabulary. If, if anything requires care, uh, re- requires carefully chosen words, put in carefully chosen contexts, uh, to position people to hear and respond to God's own voice in His Word, if, if anything requires our time to do that, surely it's the preaching of God's Word. Um, can I give one more? You can give a lot more. I'm, well, I, I just, my appetite is being whetted. So, well, so we, we talked about the importance of the, 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 the Sunday gathering. We talked about just the um, the complexity of the task. But the, the third thing that comes to mind, and I'm just so aware of this, having just preached uh, a week ago, it's it's the personal dimension of the pastor. And again, the context here is is eight hours enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, there is a necessity for us, and I know everyone listening to this can relate to this, but it, you know, it's the necessity of the preacher to come under, to borrow a phrase from Donald Coggan, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, to come under the tyranny of God's Word. Um, in other words, sermon prep is not about ideas and structures. Uh, it's about bringing, first and foremost, uh, it's about bringing my heart in line with God's Word. It, it's about submitting to God's Word myself before I preach it to others. It's about applying it to myself before I apply it to others. Um, I mean, for me, there are there's just a few aspects of that. First of all, um, the first thing that comes to my mind, I just I know when I'm preaching. I, I, some guys listening to this, maybe many, or if not most, are preaching every week. Um, I, I, my, my, my respect for such men is just massive. I, I'm preaching once every five or six weeks or so, a new message is here. Uh, but I know when I'm preaching, those weeks, I, I just have to battle my own sins that preaching just seems to inflame. I mean, pride is, is ever waiting. Uh, the desire to impress is, is, is lurking. The, the desire to draw attention to myself. So, I mean, every time I preach, throughout that yeah. week, I am spending significant time confessing that, putting that to death, uh, seeking CJ to... used a great term years ago, mixed motives, that we enter preaching with mixed motives and we just have to realize it. You're we have right. to realize it. That's right. We don't yeah. want to be paralyzed by it and right. we're never going to uh, you know, get never up on get stage over, it. over yeah. it. But we should never stop fighting it. That's right. Good. And so I, you know, I am putting that. I want to, Romans 8 through, I want to by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh and then I want to set my heart on other motives to honor God both in that preaching moment but first in private to, to please Him, to have as my ambition 
Paul's great ambition, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, to be pleasing to the Lord. And, and then to be used by God in that preaching moment to magnify Jesus Christ in every mind, every heart, every life. You can just hear the kinds of prayers that, that I pray. And, and so there's that part of it. But then there's the text itself, meditating on it, not only understanding it, but feeling its effect, allowing it to search me or convict me or encourage me or strengthen me or inform me. I mean, whatever that text is meant to do, in people's lives. Uh, I want it to do it yeah. in me first. If that, you're not affected, then you're, you're, you're I don't not going to get affect, up. Yes. No. Yeah, now, you're not going to affect Of course, if, if 11 o'clock comes, and, and I will. <laughs> yeah, you got to get up. But yeah. I'm going to serve people. But I, you know, I don't want to do that until I just have that, what, what, I, what I call in teaching sometimes, that incarnational authenticity. Mm-hmm. In other words... I, I I am embodying this text because it has done a work in me, and now what I'm I'm not just giving the the the, the results of my study. I, I am I am embodying it and hopefully illustrating it by my own passion or my own yeah. uh, uh, urgency or or my own reflectiveness or you know whatever effect that that text is meant to have. So I don't know. Those those are a few thoughts. I. Back to the original question, I certainly don't set a specific time goal or impose that on someone, but I would encourage all of us, nothing is more worthy of my time than studying God's Word so that I can bring that Word to bear upon God's people. In in one sense, it's really, and I certainly wouldn't uh, impose this or assume that any person making such a quote is thinking this, but I, I do think spending that time is a way of proclaiming where my confidence lies. Uh, what do I believe about how God works in the world and among His people? Scripture is clear. It's it's through God's Word, first and foremost. His Word saves. His Word sanctifies. His Word gives life. His Word builds the church. Um, so we, we just, I think it's just a helpful discipline to 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 pay attention to our hearts, to guard our hearts concerning our faith in what God promises to do through His Word. I think we need to be asking ourselves on a regular basis, where am I in that? Have, you know, is my confidence in the power of God's Word through the work of the Spirit to change lives? Or have I lost faith in the power of God's Word to change lives? Has, has my confidence there diminished? And am I tempted then to displace the centrality of God's Word in my ministry with other things? Mm-hmm. It's usually not that kind of decision, but other things can begin to eat away at that. It's subtle. Nobody it's, just says, I'm going to replace. No one does but, that. But other things just begin to wash in. And it can begin to reflect yep. what you really believe. Yep. So um, my, my hope is that we will all, that myself will all guard sufficient time um, because th- there's just no better use of our time. Uh, Jeff. Guys, I'm sitting here across the microphone from Jeff and I am being inspired. I'm being encouraged. I'm being challenged. Mm-hmm. So thank you. This was superb. And it it whetted my appetite but gave me a lot of things to work on mm-hmm. so you my friend well thanks for letting did me did a just, great job let, let me, and so thanks for letting me dump on you oh, oh man it was superb so uh guys uh again just i want to keep going back to this and jeff said it several times and i did as well it's not like we're trying to say if you don't spend this many hours or you have to spend this many hours but i i hope you understand that jeff 
unpacked for you. There is so much involved in the preaching task mm, that uh, just can't be rushed. And so no matter what the hours, to make sure we're putting in the time to do everything's necessary to both honor God and edify his people mm. is just so necessary. Right. So thank you. Can I say, add, you can what say a privilege. You want. What a privilege it is. Yeah. Um, that we shouldn't lose sight of that privilege. And secondly, we shouldn't apologize for it. No. Because it's it's the best way we can serve our people. Oh, my. Yep. 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 I agree. Well, um, thank you for that. Guys, again, I hope it whetted your appetite. And we're going to be back in September. And uh, I hope we'll be able to talk about everything from uh, how you look at a text and how you prepare a sermon and how you give a sermon, how you evaluate sermons. So I'm really looking forward to that. So, Jeff, thanks for serving the guys once again today. Thank you guys for listening. Yep. See you guys in September.